It's time to get chiseled with Rob Hamadari. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Chiseled. And why do we call it Chiseled? Because we're all a work in progress. Hello, again, I'm Rob Commodore. I'm your host. I'm also the author of the book, Better Than You Think. Today, I have a guest and friend here that I've met uh, probably six, seven months ago. His name is Kyle Wilson. He's the founder of Jim Rohn International. I'm not talking Rohn is burning on ESPN. I'm talking about Jim Rohn, the godfather of personal growth and development. So he's the founder of Jim Rohn International, your success store, and KyleWilson.com. He's worked with top names in a personal development industry, including his 18-year biz partner, friend, and mentor, Jim Rohn, as well as Brian Tracy, Les Brown, Darren Hardy, Dennis Waitley, Mark Victor Hansen, and many others. He's the host of Success Habits of Super Achievers podcast and recently published the book with the same title with stories and lessons from longtime friend and iconic thought leaders, including the same names I mentioned before, Les Brown, Dennis Waitley, Darren Hardy, John Ashworth, Phil Collin, a Def Leppard. Now I'm a big Def Leppard fan, so I love that. Brian Tracy, Mark Victor Hansen, again, many others. He's the author of 52 Lessons I Learned from Jim Rohn and Other Great Les uh, Legends I Promoted and partnered with Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield on Chicken Soup for the Soul, the Entrepreneurial Soul. Kyle has filled large seminar rooms, launched, launched and published multiple personal development publications and has produced, published over 100 plus hours of programs. Brian Tracy said Kyle has made him millions of dollars. Darren Hardy says Kyle is his go-to guy. For any marketing solution, Les said Kyle was a legend in the industry. Tom Ziegler said in 20 years, Kyle was the only guy he and his dad, Zig Ziegler, worked with that every time underpromised and overdelivered. And Jim Rhodes said Kyle was his trusted partner and friend. Kyle Wilson, thank you for this being on the show today. Hey, Robert, my pleasure. Looking forward to it. It's great. So I so I kept I used this uh, comment several times in the introduction there about personal growth and development. Kyle, if you can start off, because we know, I think you know, and I know that the numbers suggest that only three percent of society engage in this journey. How would you define personal growth and development? I think anything that where you have ambition and you want to grow, and it can be in any area. I think I think it's personal. Uh, you know, there are people that have never opened up. Thinking Grow Rich or The Magic of Thinking Big or heard of Jim Rohn or heard of Zig Ziglar that have their own version of personal development. So, you know, it can be the sermon at church. It can be your, your parent. It can be a mentor. But just something that has you on a, a quest to become better and to learn from outside sources. So some people, when they talk about personal development, they incorporate it with the other phrase, self-help. Are they one and the same? Or are they separate? It's not really my expertise, honestly. I, I don't debate <laughs> those things. There you go. Because I think some people, like I, I say personal growth and self-help, and people are like, well, self, that's all about you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I take I take this myself and I get into it and I dive into the books. I meet the people. I do believe God's above all this and he's orchestrating it all. But I, I do believe I've been led down this spiritual path at a deeper level because of this personal growth and self-help movement. So Kyle, when did you when did you start your journey? I mean, can you remember a specific date when you said, you know what, that book was the book that led me down this journey, or that person I met was the person that led me down this journey? Can you remember yeah, that? that? And that's a great question. I I love the opportunity to tell you my story because it gives context, right? We we can talk about all kinds of things, but there's no context. <clears throat> so Robert, I grew up in a small town, never went to college, did drugs. Worse than it sounds. I mean, I was shooting up drugs. I, I was a drug dealer. 
I was with the wrong people. At age 19, I had a significant emotional experience, changed my life, and started my first little business, which was a detail shop that then turned into a service station. So even though I'd never read personal development books, I was a seeker. I'd always been ambitious. I'd always um, been industrious. And maybe that led me into drugs because I was trying to make a profit from it. But <laughs> it also, you know, it, I, you know, I could have died. I could have gone to jail. Many of my friends did. But I changed my life at age 19, started my businesses. <clears throat> and then in age 26, I got a God whisper to leave this small little town. But not that small, but Vernon, Texas, 11,000 people. And it's all I knew. It's my family was there. And uh, to move to Dallas. And I started another little detail shop. And little did I know that would take me into the seminar business. Within a couple of years, I attended a seminar. The guy put it on. Uh, and, and it was a sales seminar. So I just okay. wanted, it's like, okay, if this will help me make more money, I'm all in. And from there, he was looking to hire people. So I really had nothing going for me. So I felt this kind of like I was in a vacuum. It's like, okay, this is so outside my comfort zone. I've got to make a hundred cold calls a day to book myself to go speak at a kind of a cold audience, like a car dealership or real estate office. And uh, from there, then I had to give a presentation, which I definitely was not comfortable getting up in front of people and having to speak. But Robert, whatever possessed me, I did it. And I'm so glad I did. And those seminars I was promoting, they would recommend books like Think and Grow Rich, uh, The Closers, <clears throat> The Magic of Thinking Big. And so I read those. And then that led me down the path of becoming really good in the seminar business. And eventually I went out on my own and I could get two, I could go into a new city, not know a person. This is like after four years and get 2000 people. And I would hire Brian Tracy and hire Jim Rohn, hire Augmandino. And we would have two of those three in each city. So whether it's Chicago, Washington, DC, and now the money's flowing, life is great. <clears throat> and that led me to making Jim Rohn an offer. He couldn't refuse. And uh, that first year took him from 20 dates to 110, tripled his fee. I had an exclusive to represent him. <clears throat> and uh, I always say that Jim's like the gateway drug to personal development, right? <laughs> and it's like I said, the godfather, right? Yeah. So from there, I started your success story. And that allowed me to start taking Brian Tracy and Les Brown and Mark Victor Hansen into those same companies uh, to, to speak. And so my, my hope, you know, back to personal development, I wasn't a seeker necessarily, but you know, <clears throat> one, one of the, I think, I think I came up with this. It sounds very Jim Ronish, but I think this is mine. <laughs> uh, opportunity precedes personal development. Once you have an opportunity, now you have a desire to go get better. So, you know, once you have an opportunity, as Jim Rohn would say, now, you know, you want to get up early, stay up late, read the books, you know, make the phone calls. But it's the opportunity that pulls us oftentimes into personal development. And that was certainly true for me. 
Yeah. So you, I'm going to go back to the God whispered at, at age 26. So did you, did you feel the pool? Did you hear the voice? Did you just, something's telling me I got to do this. What was that like? You know, I've had, let's just call it a dozen significant, what I call God whispers. Yeah. And they're all a little different. You know, some are very faint. I think the idea of selling my service station, I had 10 employees. I mean, we were blowing and going. Uh, so I was a natural marketer. I was a natural entrepreneur. Many of the principles I teach today as a marketer, I look back, I was doing those uh, intuitively in my yeah. 20s. But, you know, that was pretty faint. But I've had other times that it was you know, like the Jim Rohn quote book that I ended up creating that was 6 million viral copies, you know, literally an eight figure idea. That was just, it's almost like uh, a guy I used to work with who was one of Jim Rohn's most influential mentors, Bill Bailey, William uh -huh. Bailey. Okay. And Bill would write these poems <clears throat> and uh, he was a Horatio Alger winner and just a brilliant guy. And he would write these incredible poems. In fact, I published it. It's called The Rhythms of Life. Okay. And he said they would just appear to him. He's like, he's like, it just would come to him. And then he would write it down. And I feel like some of the best ideas I've had just would kind of come to me. Now, Jim Rohn would say, quoting the Bible, if you seek, you'll find. Yeah. But rarely does a good idea interrupt you. <laughs> so I do feel I was seeking. I do feel I was open. I was looking and uh, that makes the difference. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So now you're this 26 year old, maybe 20, 26 or 30. I'm gathering here for the, you're, you're starting to do this uh, seminar business. And I don't, I don't know how big Jim Rohn was back then. I mean, I'm 55 myself right now. I got, I started this whole personal growth journey when I was 22 years old back in 1990. And I read my first book was Ogmandino's the greatest salesman in the world. Nice. So I don't know how big Jim Rohn was back then. I mean, I learned to find out. So how does a guy like Kyle Wilson, it sounds like you're making a hundred phone cold calls a day. How did you connect with him? I mean, did you know him? Did you know somebody that knew him? Or you just said, I'm dialing Jim Rohn and figuring this out. See if I can. No, no, as a seminar promoter, I could really, if you can get 2000 people in the room, you could hire any speaker. And Jim was my favorite speaker. So I hired him and Brian Tracy. And so Jim and Brian were my two you know, biggest influences. And after that was from 91 to 93. And then that's when Jim told me one day at the end of an event, he said, Hey, the next uh, city, I just need you to pay me directly because my partner owes me half a million dollars. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're now broken up and I'll take it off the tab he owes me. And from there I said, Hey, Jim, if, if you guys aren't going to keep working together, feel like you're the best speaker in the world. I'm a pretty good promoter. I would love an exclusivity. And then I, I said, hey, listen, I'll pay for everything. It'll be my company because partnerships have not worked well from him, for him. Back even in the Tony Robbins days, that was Adventures and Achievement. He said after we lost 800000 we shut that down. Wow. Well, Jim was a philosopher, but, you know, he, he, uh, he was a pure philosopher, a lot like Stephen Covey, <clears throat> but he wasn't the business guy. He wasn't the marketer at all. I was the marketer. And so I said, it'll be my company. I'll just pay you off the top off the pro you know right off the top so whether i run a good company or not you know you get to take it from there and so uh uh yeah we we 
we made that deal. And so from 1993, I started Jim Rohn International and then started Your Success Store in 1994, where I started taking Brian and Les and those other guys. So it wasn't, uh, <clears throat> it, you know, it was totally I could fill up rooms and, you know, I, I then could sell product. And Jim was the guy I, I admired the most. Yeah, what I heard often was, you know, Jim was a great speaker, but a terrible businessman. And I'm I, not going to say either way on that, but I will say, you know, back to your question, now that I think about it, was, uh, uh, oh, what was it, uh, Robert? It was the how original question right before that was. How did you connect with Jim Rohn, basically? Yeah, and from there. You were filling up rooms and, and, and you, you could you could get any hire any speaker if you filled up the room. You said that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I I I lost okay. my on that one. That's okay. So so I'm assuming like the Jim Rohns and the, oh no, and, and, I know what it was. I'm sorry. You said was he famous? Yeah. And yeah. the fact was he wasn't. You know, so Earl Nottingale was a massive fan of Jim Rohn. So Nottingale Conant had done two albums at the time, Take Charge of Your Life and The Seven Strategies for Wealth and Happiness. So to that degree. And to the fact Jim had been based in California and they were doing all these one day and two day events. And then he also um, had done a few things with Amway. Yeah. And a few things with Shackley. And so there was this, you know, if I spoke to a room of 30 people, maybe two would know who Jim Rohn was. But here's the thing. They loved him. Yeah. So he had advocates. So that's when I got this guy download to do the, the Jim Rohn quote book. Uh-huh. Because Jim didn't have a list of quotes. He was this prolific wordsmith, but there wasn't like, hey, I got this list of quotes. So I actually came up with 365 just going through his seminars. And he had a, a book and an audio series, 365 Jim Rohn quotes. That's how prolific. And I made a hardbound book, but then I made this little gift booklet where you had a to and a from. And then I had my catalog. And I would say, hey, if you're a real estate agent or if you have a network marketing company or if you have a company, you can buy 10, 20, 50, 100 at a time. And I sold them 10 for $10, 100 for 60. And our, you know, our mutual friend, Brian Buffini, when I was on his podcast, he said, Kyle, I bought 200,000 of those. I'm, I'm like, I know you did, Brian, over the years, right? And I have or, some of them. <laughs> or Corey brought 200,000. And honestly, that was the idea. You know, before this ever existed you know yeah. that was the thought was if you were a big jim Rohn fan his advocates were so strong i had to empower you so that's a lesson we yeah. have to empower our advocates it's one yeah, thing to true. say hey can you help me share my message but how about if you can make it easy so this was an elegant solution to help them because i did one for zig I did one for Mark Victor Hansen. I did one for Brian Tracy. I did one for Dennis Waitley, but Jim's sold three times more than all those together, partly because I got behind it more, but also partly because it was so uh, authentic to the wordsmith he was and how much people loved him if they knew him. The reason yeah. he wasn't as famous as some of those others is, first of all, he didn't want to be. Like, he would only let me do five to 10 interviews a year with him. Wow. He, you know, there's all these little things where he really did not want to be that famous. So, you know, we had this, uh, uh, we did have a little bit of uh, a challenge at times because I was trying to take him to the whole world. And he's like, Kyle, I, I have to have my privacy. I, 
like he didn't want to be, uh, he, he wasn't that social. You know, if I had Brian Tracy coming to my event or Mark Victor Hansen, they're like, hey, book me with your top clients. I want to get in front of as many people as possible. With Jim, it was the opposite. So, I mean, I mean, this. I got to ask you: Do you ever pinch yourself? Not just Jim Rohn, because there's so many others, and we'll talk about these books you're, you've been publishing uh, recently mm-hmm. as well. Do you ever pinch yourself and say, you know, man, how did all this happen? I do. I not enough. I, I do more now than I used to. Yeah. I think, uh, but if I had, so yes, a lot of it's definitely divine. I, I give that the majority of the credit. You know, I just had that good fortune in this life to be called to do what I do. But the the other part of that equation is really what Jim Rohn taught. You know, Jim Rohn said, bring value to the marketplace. If you want to be successful, learn to bring value to the marketplace. If you want to be wealthy, become valuable to valuable people. And I just always, I'm not a good networker, Robert. I don't network at all. I'm not. <laughs> now that's zero. a shock to me. That's a shock to no, me. No, zero. Zero. What I am good at is creating platforms that are valuable. So if you can get 2,000 people in a room, you're now valuable to the speaker. Okay. If you can have a Jim Rohn and a Brian Tracy now as your speakers, now you're valuable to the 2,000 people in the room. Same thing with my podcast, same thing with my email list. When I built the million plus list before I sold that company, I had, like my library's crazy, like 12,000 books. And I mean, I had the original, you know, uh, Monk who sold his Ferrari. I mean, they have all those original manuscripts because everyone wanted me to sell their stuff. John Asaraf, his first book, all of, you know, John Asaraf was coming to my events in 1997. Les Brown showed up at my door in 93 that night. He and Gladys Knight and I, who was married to Gladys at the time, were going to dinner. So they all came to me because I could fill a room. So that's the that's amazing. That's the advice is figure out how to bring value to the marketplace. And then, you know, depending on who that provides value for, you then attract people versus having to pursue it. So let me ask you this though, Kyle. So you got these people knocking your door down, right? right. And right. and I see you as a humble guy. I've only known you a short period of time. I, you sound like a humble guy. You seem like a humble guy. Was it hard to stay humble with all these people? Because I can see, I can see, I can see the easy to your ego could blow up in a heartbeat, right? Um, so was it hard? That, to stay- I think one of my, I think one of my strengths through all that was a was I wasn't really into the uh, the fandom. Okay. I, I, I was a student, but I wasn't, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there with Jim talking about our next event, our next book. I'm I mean, if I'm with Brian Tracy, so if I had a, a, if I had a, a a weakness in all that, I was too focused on business. I Uh wasn't, you know, I wasn't the guy that, you know, they would probably want to take on vacation, but that wasn't my goal. My goal was to build a, a business and to bring value to them, bring value to the marketplace, bring value to my team. You know, I had 20 employees. I remember one year, it's the year before I sold the companies, every speaker, Jim Rohn, Dennis Waitley, every speaker I had, Ron White, every team member at 20 plus, myself, included. Everyone made the most money we'd ever made in our life. I mean, we had a profit sharing program that 
$15 an hour people were making six figures. I probably got as much reward from that <clears throat> as I did these amazing relationships. So I think uh, it was a, it was one of those things that that was, I, I was an entrepreneur. I was, I was wanting to build something that would bring value to people. So did, was there a time when you looked at all this and saying, I, I've made, I've, I'm successful. I made other people successful. I helped them become successful. Was there a time like the fulfillment piece? Is, did this fill your jar? Was there fulfillment? Was there a lack of fulfillment at any time? How did totally that come? I totally felt fulfilled. I Before I sold my companies, uh, I remember waking up oftentimes just thinking, I'm about to help people make the most money that ever made. But like I, I really felt once we had the profit sharing and the celebrations where, you know, we would take the team to Destin, Florida, if we hit our Super Bowl goal and get the MTV house or Beaver Creek skiing, take the whole team. That excited me, you know, so it was a bit of a, a evolution for me of going from rainmaker to now leader of the company. So I, I felt like when I was the rainmaker, our culture wasn't that great, but eventually we shifted. That was the next thing we had to solve. And so I definitely felt fulfilled. And when I sold the companies for very personal reasons, uh, and I took care of everyone. We still had that profit sharing go to all our team. Uh, you know, I was content to not be on top of the mountain anymore. So Man. I think, you know, there was, I definitely had felt fulfilled. And I also felt <clears throat> the pull on it too, Robert. I mean, yeah. it was a high demanding job. When everyone wants to be on the stage, you're filling up. Everyone wants you to sell their product. Uh you have a lot of, you're pulled a thousand ways. And so I, I, think, I think even now where I, I, I'm back and I'm doing things, I've kept my team small because I don't want to be pulled upon. You know, I felt like I was overextended and that's not my goal. My goal is not to go recreate what I did in the past. Now, every relationship we've named with the exception of Jim who passed away in 2009, I'm working with. I mean, Prime is wrote the Ford in my yeah. last book, yeah. Mark Victor Hansen. All of these have been these 25, 30 year friendships and relationships. So that's exciting to me, but I'm not trying to recreate what I did in the past because it it really was, it, it took, it took a, a heavy, it was a heavy lift and I'm glad I paid the price. Brian Tracy at his office, I was, you know, this 33 year old kid in 1992 or three, you know, I'm at his house in La Jolla and I live in Texas, right? But I was in town. We met for the day. He said, Kyle, you know, you still don't have kids yet. I got some advice. He said, you know, getting the plane, like if you have an airplane, you go down the runway 80 miles an hour and you're burning up so much fuel. You get the plane off the ground though. And now you're going 300 miles an hour but you're only, you know, you're burning up less fuel at 300 right. miles an hour than you were on the runway. He said, most people never get the plane off the runway. They spend all their life, you know, just going fast enough to burn up fuel, but they never pay the price to get the plane off the ground. And I felt like I did, and I'm still benefiting from, you know, things I did 25 years ago. 
That's um, a profound statement, though. You know, the, yeah. the people spend all their lives burning all that energy. Is it? And it could be out of fear; they're afraid to take off, so to speak, or afraid to lift off. But there's something that may be holding them back. Um, well, I think I think oftentimes it's it's, uh, and I'm just speaking from my own observation. They don't prioritize the success. It's it's trying to be balanced, and I totally get balance. You know, family's number one. Your spiritual life, your health. I get that. But Brian was just saying to really, you know, if you have the opportunity, if you can pull it off, if your circumstances allow you, go pay that price, you know, two to three year price, and you'll get the benefit the rest of your life. And I, you know, I see that in so many different things that, you know, if you can do something once and get the benefit the next 20 years, those are the things I like to do. So for me, just to take it a step further, Anything that's a one-off, I try and stay away from. Let's say we have an idea and we're going to go make some money, but it's a one-off. It's not going to compound. If I could put that same amount of time into my website or into learning to be a speaker or into writing a book or whatever it is and get the benefit now the next you know, year, the next five years, the next 10 years, I think a lot of people are trying to make you know, make money doing transactional stuff that doesn't have a compounding effect. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing that. So you said something earlier struck a chord with me. You said you're content with not being on top of the mountain anymore. So I'm going to ask you this question. Is there a fine line or what is the fine line between being content and being an achiever? I think it depends where you're at. You know, Jim Rohn would say some people you have to say speed up. Mm-hmm. Some people you have to say, slow down. You know, I coach some really high achievers and more times than not, I'm telling them to slow down because it's a competitive edge they have that's pushing them to do something that might not really be in their best long-term interest. I know people uh, that are much more quietly achieving much more wealth and success uh-huh. than those that are doing it the loudest. <clears throat> Now, if you want, if you want to be the loudest, that's fine. So it just depends what you want. I like privacy, honestly. So I don't want to be, uh, you know, less attention is fine with me. And, you know, I get attention is part of a marketing tool. So, you know, everything's a balance. But speaking for myself, Robert, uh, I'm in the phase I need to be in. It doesn't mean that I won't wake up tomorrow and say, okay, now I'm going to go climb XYZ mountain. Yeah. And by the way, I stay very busy. I have a lot on my plate. I have a lot going on. I know so you I do. You minimize, but I don't want the big team. There's a lot of things I don't want right now, but that doesn't make me unambitious. It makes me more ambitious for other things outside of business. Yeah. I had the business down. I, did, I didn't have my health down. I didn't have investing money down. I had making money down. Okay. I was also paying a lot of tax. Now I'm much more smart about what I do with the money I'm making. And that takes some effort. You know, you can either just let someone else handle it, but that doesn't always work well. Sometimes you need to become a student of wealth, not just making money, but of wealth. And in my inner circle, I have some really amazing people that make, you know, hundreds of millions, but they also, you know, have it in a way they don't pay much tax. Like they're brilliant with wealth. 
So where's that going to come from? Where's that attention going to come from? Sometimes you got to say no to one thing to take the other thing. And I'll just submit sometimes it is our ego that has us locked into uh, whatever it is. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying don't become the number one person in what you're doing because that has its own potential benefit too. You just have to weigh everything. It's like a healthy, a healthy competitive balance, would you say? Yeah. And, and, and ultimately just realizing what's most important to you. And if yeah. business is most important to you, you know, go do that. But figure out what's most important to you. I, I feel like I'm happy with everything I did, but I want to learn from it too. I don't need to double down on the thing I'm already good at and leave some of the other areas that are, I think, equally as important. But don't don't come as naturally to me. Yeah, well, you said it already. You said you're always, you're always a student and that's a, that's a good thing. So you sold your companies, but you're back at it. So uh, was there something that like, I hate to say it this way, like, like God, what's it? And, uh, well, it was seven like, years. The it Godfather was seven says years. that when I, just when I thought I was out, they sucked me back in. So, so no, was, no, there something, was, was there something was that brought years. you back it in? It wasn't like I came back 18 months later. Yeah. So it was, it was definitely, uh, the tide turned. I, I felt it was time and I actually gave myself a month and I said, okay, I'm going to, cause I'm going to do one of two things. I'm either going to get into investing or I'm going to get back in the personal development world. So I made some phone calls to people like John Asaraf and Darren Hardy and Vic Johnson, and it felt right. And so I, I came back out and I was on a ski trip actually with Darren Hardy and John Asaraf and Stephen Cox and Eric Berman in Telluride. And they were all part of a San Diego mastermind. And Darren had said, hey, John, do you mind if Kyle comes? And here I'm in Dallas. And they had so much camaraderie. And I felt like, hey, I'm here in a desert, retired. I think we're just going to be kicking back. And I mean, they're masterminding business. And I am an entrepreneur, you know, and so I had been out of the game for a while and they said, go back and start a a mastermind in Dallas. So I did. And that kind of kicked me back off into the, the things I'm doing now. Of which, which I'd like to go into next. So you, you've been uh, publishing these books and they're books with multiple authors sharing one story with, so you have maybe 30, 40 authors in each book. And in, in fact, this is how we got connected. Cause I, I, I guess was asked or invited to be part of one. So can you share a little bit about what you're doing now with these books <laughs> and what's behind that? Yeah. So what, what's really behind it is I had these amazing people in my mastermind who were going to write books and they would ask for my advice. Cause I'd sold over a million books in my previous life, you know, as a publisher And it's, you know, it's just pretty negative. It's like, uh, you know, all the publishers are out of business. I've done deals with Simon & Schuster, Random House, and I've had bad experiences. So I'm like, you really kind of need to self-publish in my mind because Amazon is the 600-pound gorilla. And, you know, I just had a lot of opinions. And then I realized, you know, several guys went out and paid 20. One guy paid 40,000. Publisher went out of business. I just kept hearing all these really bad stories. And the ones that weren't bad stories, they didn't accomplish anything I thought was important. You know, they wrote a book, but they didn't have all the social proof people. They didn't have, they didn't hit number one. They didn't know how to market it. They were paying $10 from the publisher for the book. It was just all backwards. So 
a God download, if you will. Yeah. I, got, you know, I can do a book where I pull in some celebrity authorities, you know, like a, a Brian Tracy and a Les Brown and Mark, you know, Mark Victor Hansen and Brian Buffini has been in one of my books. We've had a lot of athletes. Chris Gronkowski was just in one of the books. Todd Stoudemire, 15 year major league baseball player that I coached and uh, Phil Collin and Death Leopard. Yeah, right. Hundred million albums. He's been in two of my books. So I, I pair up, you know, six celebrity authorities and then our fellow authors. I have the best writing coach. You've met her, Dakar Sites, the best editor. And then we have, it's a drawn out process. It's not like just write an article and submit it. It's a, a three to four draft process. And when it was all said and done, I really felt like I was able to help them far more than if they had gone the process that would have cost them four times more money to write a bad book. Now, some of those have gone on to write great books and they've all told me I could have never done it. Like what you took me through with your book uh-huh. Uh, I still want to do my own, even though now I'm a number one best-selling author and I have books for a couple of bucks instead of 10 bucks. <clears throat> but they now had, uh, they had a trusted resource that they got to, to lean on, learn from, observe. We're very transparent in what we do. And, uh, and we hit number one in multiple categories. We donate hundred percent of our launch profits to a, a cool charity. So it's really a fun process. I still see, uh, you know, people have been in the same book, you know, be Facebook friends for life, you know, with celebrity authorities, Bob Bodine, you know, is in a recent book and people are all friends with him. So we, you know, we, it's just a cool thing. So it kind of began with my inner circle and, uh, and most of the books do have my inner circle members. And then uh, some people that come in through different, you know, they're on my list and I'll put it out there and then referrals. And so yeah. it's just a process that we we take our time. I'm pretty involved, more than most people would realize. And we just kind of over deliver. And so we just get so much great feedback. And I probably enjoy it more now, Robert, than I ever have. I would say the first couple of years was such a heavy lift. And it was a bit frustrating because it's kind of like herding cats. And uh but now we have it down in such a way that it's such a rewarding process. I say this carefully, I would do it for free. I mean, I enjoy the, the outcome because of the people and the quality we do. When I say I'd do it for free, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't do it for free. I'd make people pay, but I would I be willing to donate that if I, if I wanted to. I don't want to, but I'm saying <laughs> it's something when I think about if I'm only going to do what I want to do, my inner circle and the books are two things, no matter what. And my podcast, those are like three things that are non-negotiable for me because I enjoy it so much. So how many of these books have you done now? Cause I, I'm in this next one, but how many, how many would that be? Our first one was 2016. And I guess we've done uh, 13 of them. Wow. Cause I didn't look back that far. I knew there were several and I, and I'm, I'm grateful to have be a, be a part of this. And it's just, uh, I just read this, their draft again the other day and uh, I'm like, man, I did a pretty good job, but it was with Takar himself, of course. <laughs> well, I, you know, I did uh we did one called passionistas, which was 40 uh, Gen X and uh, millennials from mostly the entertainment world. And that was Erica Dela Cruz, who was my, in my LA inner circle and then I did one called Mom and Dadpreneurs. I did one uh, 
Little Black Book of Fitness with Jeanette Ortega. These were all my inner circle people that we went out and I helped them do their books Yeah, that are a little different than the books we do now, but I did some of those initially. And so I'm counting those when I, you know, I say 13 books. Yeah, that's great. So it's funny. I smiled when you said, you know, people pay three or four times the amount for a bad book and, and, and get with, and you get them launched off and started on their way. So I'm like, yeah, I paid three times that number for the book I wrote. <laughs> that's what I paid, paid three times that amount. I just hope it's not a bad book. And no, I don't think it's bad. Well, book. well I think, I think a lot of people, once they work with us, they could go still do that and they just know so much more. It's not like they're, <clears throat> they now know the questions to ask. They now know if they're going to self-publish, how to work it out through Amazon, how to hit number one, how to go get testimonials. I mean, I had a call this morning with a pretty big publisher that I'm doing a project with and there's things we do. They don't even think to do, yeah. but I've been doing this a long time. You know, I, we were, I remember when Harry Potter was number one on Amazon, like there were hundred million books on Amazon and Harry Potter was one. I got a book to number two, right? But that was the million person launch. This was back before I sold my companies and our publisher almost killed the deal. And it was a big publisher. So, you know, we're very entrepreneurial. We, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty much feet on the ground. And so I think, uh, I think most publishers, it's just a broke model, you know, and that's why I'm not in the seminar business anymore, because being the middleman is just so difficult, whether it's publishing or being a speaker's bureau or being a promoter, uh, you know, everything's kind of direct to consumer these days. So I, I don't, I feel bad for publishers. It's just a broken model. It's hard for them to make a buck. And, uh, there's just a lot of kind of scams out there. But, you know, there's, if you know what you're doing, you can definitely make the best decisions. Well, I mean, you've done a fabulous job and you're helping so many people, you're inspiring others. And, and I, like I said, Thank I'm privileged and honored to be a part of it. So before we wrap and up. I love uh, your story, by the way. It's been great getting to know you. That's yeah, one of the side you. benefits for me is I get to know you guys over a long period of time. I always know there's no rush because at the end of seven months, I'm going to know you. And <laughs> it's amazing how that just plays out in the most rewarding way. Yeah. And, and that was the hard part with that was, you know, like I got the book there and there's so many stories in a book and I didn't want to put out a, the a same story in your book. So I made, a, I did a combination of, of a couple of things as you saw, but it was, it was, it was a joy and a privilege to do that. I'm excited for that to come out. So yeah, me too. Before I let you go, though, they, there's you had a long relationship with Jim Rohn before he passed. What are what would you say the top one, two, or three lessons that you got from Jim Rohn? What would you say? Well, as far as philosophy on what he yeah. taught, it would be uh, uh, first of all, success is uh, predictable. You know, Jim talked a lot about nature. He would talk about being a farmer. And, you know, if you're a farmer and you go plant a tomato seed and you water it and you plant it at the right time of the year and you take good care of it, you know, odds are in six to eight weeks, you're going to end up with some tomatoes. That's not guaranteed, but if you do all the right things and all the right process, it's not, it's not difficult. It's just being consistent. You're going to get a result. You're going to get a harvest. Now, if you're going to, if you want a vineyard, that might take five years. Now, there is no plant of vineyard and in six weeks have wine. 
Now, some people <laughs> tell you it is. Yeah, right. And so stay away from those people. <clears throat> and I think I just bought it. I just said, I get that. I, I know that if I'll do all the right things in the right order over time, and it's a faith thing, you have to have faith. If you really believe I'll plant the tomato seed and do all these things, you're going to end up with tomatoes. That's pretty easy. I'll just do that. I don't have to go do all these other, you know, get rich quick things and all the stuff that we're always tempted to do sometimes is a shortcut. And wow, the more seeds I plant, the more tomatoes I get. So I think Jim just brought it so practically home for me that I don't have to go for, for the Hail Mary. I don't have to go for the too good to be true. I just can do, you know, I just can get to the top of the mountain by taking the stairway, you know, a little bit at a time. And over time, I'm going to get there. That's great. Uh, no, go ahead. Ahead. no, no, go, go. You had something else. Well, I mean, there's so many lessons. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of take a different tact because it's one of my favorites. You know, I did this quote book with 365 quotes. Yeah, there's Only a lesson there. One of those could be a lesson. Yeah. But I think this is a different tact, but it's one of my favorites. Jim Rohn said, be a student, not a follower. Take advice, but not orders. Make sure everything you do is the product of your own conclusion. And I think when I heard that at age 28, you know, 28, it helped me really get clear that, hey, I can learn from anyone. I can learn from uh, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, even though there was some weird stuff in it. I can learn from Tony <laughs> Robbins, even though some of that was a little bit weird for me. I can learn from the preacher. I can learn from everyone as long as I'm being a student, and not a follower. I don't have to take it all in. I don't have to agree with it all. I, you know, if it's a political leader, I don't have to agree with everything. I can say, I like that. And I don't like this. And I think it just really helped me expand my learning. And at the same time, not feel like I had to uh, be all in. I could pick and choose what resonated with me. And I think that's such a great lesson for all of us, whether it's politically, spiritually, you know, corporately, uh, you know, we are ultimately responsible for all the decisions we make, you know, and that's by being a student, not a follower. And when I hear that, be a student, uh, it's for me, it resonates. It's like you got to come from a place of curiosity to always wanting to learn and, and discover more about yourself and about other things. So that was, that was beautiful. Well, put. as long as being, as long as being curious, but not being gullible. And well, a lot of, of people are curious to, uh, to their own detriment because sometimes it's like people, like I meditate, but Robert, if I'm meditating and I get the download, I stop meditating and I run with the download. Uh -huh. Yeah. Because you're only meditating. Like, you know what I'm saying? I and do. So sometimes people are too curious. They they don't know when to stop being curious for, you know, I, I use sports as kind of an analogy, play and do review. So in the off season, I'm super curious. I'm taking it all in. But when the season starts, I have a playbook. I have an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. I know who my quarterback is. I'm less curious. Now I'm execute. Okay. Makes sense. You don't have to be curious all the time. Sometimes you have to be less curious and focused on executing. And thank you for sharing that. So Kyle, 
How much more chiseling you got going on in your life here? What do you think? What do you mean? How much more? How much more development? How much more is God going to chisel away from you to to get you to the maybe where you're supposed to be? Maybe you're there now, but is there more chiseling that's going to happen in your life? Do you believe? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, for me, uh, I didn't really go into why I sold my companies, but it was. Uh, and you're welcome to do that if you like. Well, it's it's more personal. It, okay. it relates to you know family things, and so I think sometimes the challenges in our life sometimes things outside of our control actually make us better. I think, I think, uh, you know, the, the confrontations I have in my life are what make me, you know, more curious, make me search, make me, uh, uh, seek. And those are the things that definitely are chiseling away. And making you better. Making me better and confronting the BS, you know, there's, we, I used to really be clear on me, but I thought everyone else was supposed to be me. I didn't know people are wired differently. And so when I learned, <laughs> oh, my employees can be different. My kids can be different. My wife can be different, you know, whether it's spiritually, politically, philosophically. And I think I, I had to be kind of confronted with that. I, I didn't intuitively know that. I knew how to make money. Now, some people know what we're talking about, they don't know how to make money. So it's, it's like, we're all coming from different places. So I honor everyone's walk. I, that, I think that's the biggest thing, Robert, I've been chiseled away at is, uh, people that are on a totally different path than me, just learning to honor that and respect that, not judge. Like there's no need to judge anyone else's experience, right? Because what do we know? We know nothing. So that's been a big chiseling. What's that? Um, I said, then there was, was there a time when you were in that place of judging people? Oh yeah. Big yeah, time. Yeah. And that yeah. was the confrontation for me. The confrontation yeah. was, uh, things that were out of my control about people you care about that confront you to say, okay, maybe this is above my pay grade. Maybe what I think is the way it's like, I used to think if they'll read the Bible or if they'll pray or if they'll listen to Jim Rohn that, you know, that's going to overcome whatever it is, depression or whatever it is. And then you find out later, no, different people have different personalities, different people have different drives. And I was ignorant of that. I don't suffer from those things. I suffer from other things. And sometimes we're too quick to put our own experiences. Uh, I have a, a really dear friend. He's a mentor. He's 31 year Colonel in the Marines. Tim Cole and ran a presidential inauguration. He's a big part of my inner circle, a big uh, support system for me. And what I'm about to say, he has never done. So this is a total made up scenario. But if (laughs) Tim Cole came to me, he said, Kyle, you know, an alien spaceship landed in my backyard yesterday and they brought me on board and they told me some things. I believe him, Robert, because why because it hasn't happened to me doesn't mean it's not true and i think so often we're saying if i haven't experienced it it's not true instead of giving people the honor of if we trust them if we you know yeah why why do i have to experience it for it to be true for them we all are coming from such different places so that's the big chiseling thing for me and rightfully so because yeah i definitely you know thought, thought I had all the answers. 
You know, it's funny I, before we leave, I, I, you said that because it made me think when I first got on this journey and I was reading all these books and I would come home from college on breaks and over Christmas and in the summer and I'd be in people's faces so fired up with all this stuff. <laughs> you need to read this book. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And what I learned, especially from my wife, is that when you tell people they need to do something, what they're hearing is you're saying, I'm broken. You're trying to fix me. And, mm, and I, yeah. I learned that that humbled me. So I had to learn to, to I guess, kind of be invited in to have these conversations instead of being in everybody's face. And uh, that's helped me on my journey. So thank you for sharing that because you brought that to my to the front of uh, the forefront of my mind there. No, so, thank you for sharing. So, Kyle, before you go, the uh, you, you have a little surprise for us and uh, we want to know how people can get a hold of you. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I'm proud of all our books. This is one I did uh, based on my podcast. It's called Success Habits of Super Achievers. And, you know, you see some familiar faces, Darren Hardy, Les Brown, Brian Tracy, John Asraf, Dennis Waitley, Phil Collin, Def Leppard, Tom Ziegler, Mark Victor Hansen. I could go on and on and on. A whole list of, you know, Grammy winners, Emmy winners. And I would love to give everyone the digital copy of that book. Now, when I do, Robert, I'm also giving them all my other books. I'm also giving them... Uh, two-hour interviews with Darren Hardy. That's one of the best. We've, I mean, we go into hardcore business strategies, interviews with Brian Tracy, uh, a, a whole variety of people. Glenn Morshower, the actor in over 250 movies and shows that talks about how he got every, he would get almost every audition. It's an amazing podcast. And all they have to do is send me an email to info at kylewilson.com. So email to info at kylewilson.com and say success habits. And if they'll mention you too and say, hey, I heard you on Robert's Chisel podcast. And, you know, tell me if you're a Jim Rohn fan, you know, tell me, you know, how long you've been listening to Robert, uh, whatever you'd like to share. The more I know, the better, but you don't have to. You just can put success habits book and that works too. And I'll send them the, the link to go get all that good stuff. I'll give them a little push, Kyle. <laughs> so look, Kyle, I'm grateful for your time. Thank you for all the wisdom and, and uh, stories you shared here. And it's just been an honor and a pleasure to have you for these last 45, 50 minutes. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting to know you better here. Um, Same so, here. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, any final comments before we, we cut off here? No, I think, uh, I think this is good stuff. Just uh, everyone's on their own path. Keep seeking, uh, keep, uh, looking to things you really resonate with. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing the people in our lives that influence us and have helped us along the journey. It, it's definitely a team sport. So again, it's been my honor, Robert. Thanks so much for having me today. Thanks again. Until next time, everybody, let's go get chiseled. You just got chiseled with Rock on Guard. Be sure to like this podcast, share it with your friends, and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Also, you can find Rob's book on Amazon, Better Than Equal.